on the whistle podcast listeners once again we are here uh, around our virtual bride to talk to one of the most influential ladies in south african football we are very grateful to today welcome to the podcast miss desiree ellis welcome desiree hi courtney thanks for having me and uh welcome to the viewers now it's desiree it's such an honor for us it's such a catch to be able to get the head coach of a national team. It's not every day you are very first. So once again, we've ticked that box. You are very first head coach that we've spoken to, uh, which we are just so grateful for. And I must also just say thank you to your PR people that made this possible. The communications were so clear, accurate, and, and to the T that we were able to sit down. Now, Desiree, we're a podcast, we like talking about football, so let's get going. How did this football journey start for you? Because if I look back at your statistics, so many games, so many goals, a goal every other game, uh, it's just unbelievable. Where did this journey start? Look, um, I started at the age of six, um, playing uh, in the, with the boys in the boys' playground, jumping over the fence regularly because the school that I went to, um, that I went to Dryden Street Primary School, we used to have a girls playground and a boys playground. And a playground, like in, back in the day, you know, they used to say sub A and sub B, which I think is now grade one and grade two. So we, I used to jump over the fence regularly, um, got into trouble for a girl, but uh, I just love the game. And because I played netball at school, I got away with detention, um, you know, because being in the in the in the boys' play, playground, and then in the afternoon, immediately when school you know, finished, I had to rush to my grandmother's place because the boys were already waiting for me to play in the street. Um, we lived in Haiderfeld at the time. I moved to Hanover Park, where my mom's still living now. But uh, my parents both worked at the time, so we went to school in Salt River, and we stayed by my grandmother's place uh, in the afternoon. And we played close to Cape Town uh, to Salt River Station. Uh, where we played with the boys um, regularly on a regular basis until people got home from work and that's when our game had to stop. Playing football outside like we all know. Now, how did you eventually start graduating towards the professional part of this football? Look, back in the day, I didn't know there was girls um, playing football. Um, I, there was no girls soccer at school. Um, so I had to play when the teachers played against the boys team. I was drafted into the teachers team. Um, and uh, Bevan Fransman's dad, um, he was one of our teachers, and I regularly played with him in the team. And um, then what happened was um, I got approached um, while playing with the boys that to join Athlone's Salty Girls team. And I, and I went down and um, made my debut. I came on as a second half substitute, made my debut and scored the winning goal. And that was the start of me playing football. And then fast forward to, um, say, to 1992-93. When the opportunity became when our late president, uh, former president Nelson Mandela was released, um, it opened up then for us to go out and try it for the national team. And um, I was very blessed at the time to make the squad as a vice captain and scored a hat trick on debut. Um, we beat uh, Swaziland, who's now called Eswatini, we beat him 14 0. And I was one of three players to score a hat trick on debut. And that's, that's where it all started. But through that, I lost my job because um, we had to drive up by, with a minibus to Johannesburg from Cape Town. And uh, on the way back, we got a puncture and I came to work like a day late and they said I absconded. So uh, I, was out of work for, I was out of work for three years. 
but I was not living my dream. I don't say I didn't care, but I was not living my dream. So that's um, how I got into the national team um, back, um, way back then. I suppose the company that uh, fired you at the time was really regretting. Uh, actually, actually, they've closed down. They've closed down. <laughs> I, used to, I used to work in this storeroom. It was a meat market. And yeah. I used to work in this storeroom. And I used to make all the spices for all the polonies and, and the boltongs and et cetera. So I used to work in the storeroom and I had to order spices, et cetera. So um, they, they since closed down. I don't think um, the business went, um, you know, that well after a while, but they since closed down. But they, they were quite busy, you know, they were quite busy uh, um, butcher because they didn't only serve the customer, but they also delivered not just in Cape Town, but outside of Cape Town as well. So they were quite busy. That's unfortunate, especially during these times where uh, everybody needs to be working um, and employment is so important. Nobody wants anything to be shutting down. Um, the economic structure of a country is very important. So um, we just hope that in some way they can resurrect their business. But coming back to yourself now, Desiree, you're the national team manager of Bayana Bayana. You have some of the most talented females within the country at your fingertips. How difficult is it to be the national team coach? Um, look, it's not it's it's not an easy job. It's not a it's not an easy job. But um, like any like any I suppose like any job, it's got its challenges. You know, um, but to be you have to find solutions for those. Yes, we're fortunate that we have such a lot of talented players. Um, we we obviously have a selection criteria where. Um, you know, players have got to tick the boxes. For example, if you take a fullback, um, you know, we do it technically, tactically, um, socially, psychologically. We do it. We do all of those those things. So they've got to tick all. They've got to tick the boxes, and they won't tick all the boxes, obviously. Um, but we take the idea of how we want to play, the system of play, and obviously the players that will fit in with, into it. So we have we have a big core group of players of over 40. So we can, when we play an opponent, we tap into those those players. And um, now we've got such a lot of players playing abroad as well, you know, um, but we haven't seen them, some of them for two years um, due to COVID and due to um, COVID um, protocols and regulations um, in the different countries. So uh, little by little, some of them are now coming back into the team. Um, but it's, it's not easy. I suppose if I give 10 people a paper and ask them to, to choose a squad or to choose a 11, no, no 10 will have the same. So I can imagine how difficult it is for us. But we'd rather have a situation where, you know, it's difficult to select than easy because we know that the players are raising their hands. A few weeks ago, we spoke to um, Ms. Simpiret Lulu, who's the National Under-17 manager. And she spoke so well about her role in helping the national team coach, which is yourself, uh, get players ready. Uh, no, she's done, a, she's done a fantastic job. She's done a fantastic job. You know, in, uh, in 2019, we took two of her uh, U17 players, the captain and the vice captain, straight from the under-17 World Cup, straight to the senior World Cup. And because there's consistent interaction, not just with her, but with the U20 coach, Jabulili Bolue as well, on how we can sort of integrate players and obviously bring some of her players in to give them a taste of what it is at the higher level, but also in a way, then going back to the U20, 
to maybe be the more senior players there and get the team ready. So it's got to be that consistent synergy um, because as players um, then, uh, um, you know, progress from the U17s and U20s, we've got to stay in contact and we've got to sort of look at how we can integrate them. And sometimes it takes longer than others. And sometimes it's just like a, a straight transition. Now, just coming down to tactics here, Desiree, uh, I'm a 3-5-2 person. I, I think a 352 for me personally is a much more expansive <laughs> style of play which allows you to defend with five but also in a re, in a relaxed position defend with three uh, but also attack with more numbers as well uh, what is your formation that you put but if you get but if you get that wrong if you get that wrong and you're playing, whether you call it 3-5-2 or 5-3-2, if you get that wrong, you almost have your fullbacks also sitting back and having, having no support in attack. Um, we, we, we are a very creative team. So we try to utilize the creativity of the players in a more advanced position. So mm -hmm. there's different formations that we play in and different formations that we, that we, that we are comfortable with, but we've played... We've played with Coach Vera. We've played uh, a 1-4-2-3-1. We've played um, a 3-5-2. We've played a 4-1-3-2. We've played a 4-3-3. We've played a 1-4-4-2. I mustn't forget the goalkeeper. 1-4-4-2. Um, we've also played a 1-4-3-3. So we've played a quite a number of uh, formations. So the players are really, really comfortable with a lot of them. Um, we also, we look at the opponent, obviously, but we also look at our strengths, how we can overcome um, the weaknesses of the opponent. But uh, yes, you have to have a look at the opponent, but we don't worry too much about that. We rather get our team in order and uh, play what we feel is comfortable for us. But in one game, we can switch between all of those formations um, because we have the players that are, are capable of doing that. Now... Coming back to your preparation, and let's, let's look at SAFA at the moment. Uh, how helpful are not only SAFA, but other teams in the league in terms of allowing you to use facilities, prepare the teams, manage the coachings? Because South Africa is such a large country. You move around and you also want to use good facilities to bring in these players at a national level. So they also appreciate national level as well. Um, how helpful have the clubs been towards you, Jessica? Look, we generally have our camps in uh, training camps and matches in Johannesburg. Okay. We have played in Durban. We played our farewell send-off game before we went to the World Cup against Jamaica at Moses Mabida. We played Sweden two years in a row, including Netherlands in 2019 um, at Cape Town Stadium. So we, we generally, the Kosafa Cup is generally held in, in, in Kabecha, which was Port Elizabeth before. Um, it's generally held there. So the national team sort of plays, you know, different places and we get good quality training facilities. Um, we, we had a technical engagement with the national team, national league coaches, which is the Hollywood Bet Super League, about what it is that we do, how we prepare, etc. And thanking them for their help so far because they work with the players day in, day out. We get the players maybe for a week and how they can help us further because um, when we succeed, it's because of their contribution. And uh, if we want to do more, then we need more from them as well. Likewise with the, the coaches in, this, in the SESA League. So 
there's a regular interaction. Um, I go to games and I will chat to coaches after games um, when we go and do uh, the provincial visits and we identify players. Um, we will chat to the players along with the coach um, and give feedback. So there's that, there's that regular interaction. And I think that is important. We got to make sure that we that we work together as one unit because um, we can't do without each other. We we do not have a professional. Yes. yes, we do not have a professional league. It's not where we want to be, but I think it's a step in the right direction. So we need each other's help all the time, you know, to make sure that um, you know players are ready when they come to the national team and 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 the support of the coaches. So for us, that is for us that is important. But we must not forget um, Cecil have contributed to that. You know, I don't think in my lifetime I would have ever been part of a group of players that play the USA twice. Since, since 2016, the number one team in the world. We, we've played France, who was number three at the time. We played the Netherlands twice, who were number six or number seven back, back in the day. Um, we've played Sweden twice. Um, we've played Japan. Um, uh, we've played uh, uh, Norway. And these are this is all outside of competition. You know, it's not in a competition. It's all outside of a competition. So... I don't think that I would ever have thought that uh, that was possible, but um, I must say a big thank you to Safa and as well as Cecil for that, for that because uh, they made sure, you know, that we get really good preparation and, and hopefully going forward, we will get the same support. We asked for, we asked for stronger opposition after we played the likes of um, Lesotho in 2020 and the Kosafa Cup and then uh, Zambia and Botswana, and they duly provided us with um, with the Netherlands, you know, unfortunately didn't go ahead. And then now the Aisha Buhari Cup. So it shows that, you know, um, the, the progress is there. And it's all, it's all part of the process. You've got to like slowly build yourself up. And uh, we're really, really grateful for that. And they make sure that we have the best facilities available. Um, we played uh, Botswana at the Orlando Stadium. Um, we've played at the Bitvi Stadium as well. Um, we've played at the Dobsonville Stadium. These are all stadia that is used by our um, by our Premier League teams. You know, Orlando Pirates, uh, Bitfest is now um, you know sold the status as as well as Swallows FC. So it's all top top stadia that we that we are that we are playing our matches in. So Safa leaves no stone unturned to to assist us where they can. So they sort of appointed all these female coaches for the U17, as you said, Sampiwe Dluglu, and the U20, Jabuli Bolo, and myself as the head coach. And the support we get has been amazing. Now, you speak about the pinnacle of, of, the, um, of ladies football within, uh, within South Africa. You speak about uh, the preparation, what you were talking about, how you get the help from Safa, but... Something you touched on a bit earlier, Desiree, is the league within South Africa is still not professional. Where players are playing or training twice a week. Because if you look like in Europe, if you look in America, if you look even a bit north in Africa, there are professional female leagues set up for the teams to do well. Is there something like that in the pipeline? in South Africa to come through, which then makes your job and selection harder, but better? Look, uh, the National League, it's a second year now. Um, we used to have uh, SASA leagues in, the, in nine provincial uh, pro provinces. It's called the Provincial League. And in that nine, nine provinces, the SASA League had um, leagues of 16 teams each. And they would, the winners would then come to a national playoff and you'll get the champion team. And now 
um, last year, all the nine winners, including um, at the time, Mamelodi Sundowns and Bloemfontein Celtic, who, who had uh, men's teams, were, were added. The university club champs were added. Um, and the nine winners, um, including um, uh, TUT, um, who were runners up to, to Sundowns, who then eventually became, let's uh, say, the other team. And the one team from the Free State had two because of Bloemfontein Celtic. So they made up the 12 teams. And then at the end of uh, last season, um, Actually, at the end of 2019, um, JVW and my Indies were the finalists at the national champs. So they made up 14. Um, the league is going to go up into 16 and then there'll be, um, you know, promotion and relegation. It is the start. Um, it had to start somewhere with the national league. It's not where we want to be, but I feel it's a step in, a, in, a, in the right direction. I think uh, more sponsors have to come on board. Uh, we've got the SASA League, which is run in the nine provinces. And now the National League has a sponsor, Hollywood Bet Super League for this year. Uh, we're hoping more sponsors to come on board. If more sponsors come on board, we obviously can do more. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's, it, it, it is what it is at the moment. And, you know, we're just grateful that the games are televised weekly as well. Um, you also have the Varsity Cup, which, which is, a, is a big help. It's almost the buffer between um, club football as well. You have the, Vars the, the USA Club Champs, which is all the universities. Um, and that's run on a, on a, on a, on a, maybe at the end of the year. But I also go and look for players. And, and strangely enough, you have, when I was playing back in the day, most of the players in the national team was unemployed. Now, 90%, maybe even more, they either have degrees or, and are currently still studying, or they have a couple of degrees and have graduated. Um, and a lot of them also are now playing abroad because they've graduated. So the opportunities are are they left, right and center now um, as well. So we use that medium as well to select. There's also a university national team that gets selected that go to the World Student Games. So there is a little bit more experience. And if you look across the Banyana Banyana and the university national team, you can see the players are, you know, sort of in, in some players in both teams. So that, that really helps us. But I think it's a step in the right direction. We just hope sponsors can come on board sooner rather than later to take mm. it to the next level. Um, as you said, in Morocco, they've got two professional leagues going, um, you know, and uh, it's, it's where we want to be. But I think on the whole continent, I think sports need, uh, uh, football needs to be professionalized. Um, you now have the Champions League for women, and it's a sad thing to see a team from Namibia, I think it was, asking for sponsors to get them to the to the. Uh, um, uh, Champions League um, playoff matches out in uh, in, in uh, KZN um, in South Africa, but uh, if they were if they had the sport professionalized, then that wouldn't happen. So I think that is the next step for CAF to make sure that there are not only leagues in all the countries, but that the sport is professionalized. And if they can assist with that, um, you know they have this women's strategy, and I think the women's strategy has come out now with the CAF Champions League, and I'm looking forward to seeing what is next for women's football on the continent. Then you also have the Aisha Buhari Cup. You also have your, your zonal tournaments in Southern Africa is Kosafa. You have Wafu A and Wafu B, which is West Africa. You have UNIFAC, which is North Africa. You have Sakafa, which is Central Africa. You have that as well. Um, so that's played on a, on, a, on a regular basis. I think... Um, Kosafa has been more regular than any other uh, zone. It's played uh, every year. They even had U17 and U20. And also some of the uh, countries from the other zones 
um, or sometimes case countries uh, in, in, in our competition, which is the Kosafa Cup? Well, our own Patrice Mutsepe is the president of CAF. Uh, we're lucky to have him. He's done wonderful sundowns uh, and hopefully he can take that ingenuity into leading Africa because one of his targets, and I was so happy to see when he became CAF president was to grow the women's game with on the continent, which is so important. Like the Namibian team that you just mentioned, that should never be happening at all. So we just hope that growth aspect starts to take place. But I like the fact that you've spoken about the growth aspect within South Africa, the university teams. Like I've got a very good friend of mine who's the university coach within South Africa. And I, I, I never ever thought that would ever happen because in my neighborhood where I grew up, there was never a football team, so a ladies Who's football. your friend? Uh, Who's your friend? Tenoff. Oh, Godfrey Tenoff. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a good personal okay. friend of mine. We played football together all up. We're from the same neighborhood. Oh, my um, word. And yeah. uh, very good friends. Very good he's, friends. He's the, he's, the head, he's the head coach at the University of Free State. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, where him and I went for under 23 trials together for the national team. Uh, oh, okay. And um, yes, you know, I, there's a growth aspect there, Desiree, which makes me proud. It's starting to cultivate because it then gives you the opportunity to start picking the best players from real competition. And that's the most important thing, you know? So long may that continue. Um, that's absolutely wonderful to hear. Now, just before we close out this, and you've been very gracious with your time and I'm very, very grateful. Um, what is it that a preparation day looks like on match day? Put us in the change room with you with your players, what are the things you talk about, discuss in order to get prepared for a game at national level? I'll actually start to the to the day before, which is match day minus one. Okay. We will get an opportunity to train at the stadium for an hour. So whatever you do during the week in one and a half hours, you must almost sort of do your match day. You do your match day warm up, obviously, because that's what you're going to do the next day. You then do your, your 11 versus 11. Um, you have a few set pieces in there. You then do your set pieces as well. A couple of corners get taken so players are, can familiarize themselves. In the evening, we have a team announcement. We have a team announcement because we need to do the set pieces. We need to show, go into real specifics now because we do the analysis during the, the week, but we go into the transition of attack and defense of the opponents, um, how they build up, how they disturb the build up. Um, if there's any specials, for example, do they are they very compact in defense? Um, the key players, set players, but then the day before match, uh, the match, we go into deep specifics about the set players. Is there a trend? Do they have an in-swinger? Do they have an out-swinger? Who their headers are, et cetera. So we do a team, team announcement so players know who they need to pick up at set pieces or at corners, et cetera. Then the next day, we obviously start now during COVID with our screening of our staff and our players. Um, we would have breakfast. Um, after breakfast, players would just go and relax. We would then have a pre-match meeting. So the pre-match meeting is the whole setup of a reminder of what has happened the whole week and what we're going to do. 
how we do the defense of how we need to defend, um, we do how we want to attack and how we want to transition. It's, it's a reminder really, we either play um, a motivational video or we just have a motivational picture there, um, uh, you know, to just motivate them. And then, and then we go to pre-match. After pre-match, we will then, you know, get into the bus. Um, between pre-match and between uh, the, the pre-match, there's also a walk somewhere, just, just a little walk. Um, then we go to the game, to the match itself. We get there 90 minutes before. Um, we let players do their own thing in the dressing room. Some just sit quietly, the rest sing. Others got their, their, their pods on and listen to music. Um, then they go out into the field just to walk around and then we come, come back in. They will check the equipment and keep the referees. Um, will come in with, a, with the fourth official will check and then players start getting dressed, etc. Um, then they go out for the warm-up. They go out for the warm-up and um, when they come back from the warm-up, um, they then get dressed and we just, we just will sort of, myself and the assistant coach will just walk around because we know now players are focused and just remind them of certain things. Uh, we say a prayer in the dressing room. Um, the staff then leave, um, the substitutes leave, and then the players go out onto the field, basically. Um, after the game, um, the players will either go, go home or, some, or we, if there's another game to be played, we will then, then do a recovery session, whether it's in the pool or ice bath or massage, we will do that and then get ready for the next day. And if there's something happening the next day, we'll have a recovery session. And those that did not play would then have a conditioning session to get them to the same level um, as the players that played the day before. And if you've played, if you've played more than 70 minutes, it also depends on the intensity of the game itself. Those players will, will then go into a recovery session and the rest will do a conditioning session. There's right. Listening to you, I think Banyana Banyana is safe within your hands. You've been very grateful talking about grassroots football. So your selection committee, your targets, CAF, uh, game day preparation, your technical team. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I appreciate it. Um, it's down to uh, our fantastic group of players and our staff, um, uh, which is the technical staff and the support staff and the broader staff, shall I say, the, the coaches out in the field to do the hard work because I think it's a collective. Um, you cannot do without each other and that has been what has worked for us so long may it continue Desiree thank you very much I hope you have a very good day today and hopefully we can speak again soon uh, thanks for having me